Okay, good evening. I'm continuing the series we started a few weeks ago. Today it's number 10, it's Pirkei Avot number 10. And we are in, just in the middle of chapter 4, altogether the six chapters. So that's the middle of chapter 4. I believe we, we can finish it maybe today, and then we have chapter 5 and 6, and we're done. Uh, so the last week, actually two weeks ago before Tisha B'Av, we conclude that uh, lecture with uh, the last Mishnah that uh, a person, when the Torah says, you have to fear your God, it includes include the Chachamim inside, which means the Rabbi Shimon Amsoni, he used to teach his students in Yeshiva that every time the Torah says the word et, et, so it means it, took, it comes to include something else, which means if it says, Kabed et avicha ve'etimecha, respect your father and your mother, uh, it could have just said, respect your parents, or respect Kabed et avicha ve'etimecha, it didn't have to say ve'etimecha, so it's an extra word in the Torah, there's a secret. What's the secret? It's one of the rules in the Torah, that it comes to include something else in it. What's the something else? Your older brother. If your, your old brother is in the house, you have to respect him just as you respect your parents. So this is just one example, but there's many examples through the Torah that they use the word et, so it comes to include something. Then one of the students asks him, what does it mean, et Hashem elokechatira? Fear your God. Et Hashem, fear God. So who else we have to fear besides God? So he got stuck. So he was obviously an honest rabbi. So I told him, based on your question, since I don't have an answer, forget everything we learned. Everything I told you until now in the last uh, lessons that we had, it's falling. Why? Because of your question. Then later Rabbi Akiva came, and Rabbi Akiva taught the same thing, which is true. It was true. And he, he gave the answer to this question. He said, Hashem Fear your God. And just as you fear him, you have to fear the, the rabbis because they are his representative, which means giving respect to them, fearing them, fearing what they say, respecting them to the high level, it shows that you love Hashem. And it's basically in the same category. That's where we finished last time. And the la one more thing we said in the end of the last lecture, that in the 13th Mishnah, in this uh, chapter 4, Rabbi Yehuda says, be, be very careful when you teach Torah, when you answer. He's talking to those rabbis who gives the answer to the people. Uh, you have to be very careful because if you're not learning carefully and you're not careful before you answer, if you give the wrong answer, it counts like you did it on purpose. Why? I don't believe that one rabbi in the world would ever give a, a student an answer purposely the wrong answer. That, that's not realistic. But the reason is that we learn from here, not only for rabbis, for every Jew, that when you had the opportunity to learn and to know, and you did not, you've been lazy, you, you don't care, it's not so important for you, you're not repeating what you need to repeat, and then you make mistakes, it counts like you did it on purpose. It's called mezid, not shogeg. Mezid means on purpose, shogeg means not intentional. So you've got to be very careful. Then Rabbi Shimon says three crowns. We have in the Torah three crowns. What are they? The crown of the Torah, the crown of Keunah, the Kohanim, 
and the crown of the king, the kingdom. And there's one more thing, Keter Tov Ole Al Gabehem, which we know that uh, the Keter Torah is the most important thing. It's more important than the crown of the king, and it's more important than the crown of the Kohen. Why? The Kohen, you did nothing to achieve it. You're born to a father, he's a Kohen. <laughs> You're born with his crown. Same thing a king. King, he got nominated to be a king, or his father was a king. It's temporary. One day it's over. But Keter Torah, once you achieve that, it's with you for eternity. Nobody can ever take it away from you. And that's the highest out of all three. So, uh, what does it mean now Keter Tov? Now there's a, a, there's a fourth one. It's a person that is doing Kiddush Hashem. That everybody on the street says, look at this Jew. What a great person. What a righteous person. What a tzaddik. What a great... So because of his behaving, he's actually sanctifying the name of Hashem. Everybody sees an example from him. If you remember one time I told you a story that uh, in Israel they had a candy camera and they wanted to show how handicaps are cheating their customers. So they took a woman and she had a short. She, put, she plugged in something in her kitchen and he made a short in the house. You know, and they, they, they sent three people to fix it. The first guy came, he gave a huge price. He doesn't know he's recorded. And, and he didn't even check, nothing. He didn't take one screwdriver, nothing, a tester, nothing. Just as she told him what happened, he gave her a price, a crazy price. So she said, okay, I'll get back to you. Then the second person came, his price was a little bit better, but still didn't check anything. Then there was one Persian electrician, Israeli ones, his name was Hasid, Hasidian. So it's interesting because his name shows a Hasid, he's a righteous person, and it ha- apparently it happened exactly as it is. So he came, he gave her a ridiculous price, like a hundred and something shekel, which is maybe thirty, forty dollars. And then when he saw that she lives in a poor house, he told her, I'm giving you another thirty or forty percent off. So it's basically almost for free he came. So she said, well, why are you giving me? Your price was good to begin with. Why are you still taking off more than what I agreed to pay? So he told her, well, why can't I sometimes do something good uh, as a mitzvah? He told her. He doesn't know he's a candy camera and everybody in Israel watching him. I put it on prime time. Big Kiddush Hashem. So in the end they came out and said, Mr. Whatever, you are Yatsata Tzadik. Everybody knows who you are now. And it's needless to say that from there his business is booming. So that's called Kiddush Hashem. Something like this is better than Keunad, than being a king, and even being a Talmud Chacham. Why? Because you make millions can fall in love with Judaism and the Torah thanks to one thing that you do, right? Like the same things when you see uh, all these uh, religious people in Israel, how they, uh, unfortunately, there's a terrorism, so they collect the bodies in bags and they walk in the middle of the night, and it's all volunteer work. So that's, those things makes their non-religious people love the Torah. There's many bad things that makes them hate the Torah, unfortunately. Once in a while you find a tzaddik that does such a kiddush Hashem, so it, it saves the reputation of the Torah. That's where we end last week. I want to continue in the 14th Mishnah. Rabbi Nehorai says, Torah. And uh, make sure you always go to live in a place of a Torah. The Torah exists there. Don't sit in a place in the desert somewhere in Las Vegas or San Francisco and say, eh, one day the Torah will come here. 
you know, they come here, don't worry, let's live here. One day somebody will already open a shul or yeshiva here. It doesn't work that way. You have to make sure that you go, you take your wife, your children, you're already connected to some community with a synagogue, with a, with a good school for the kids. That comes before business, before pleasure, before beauty, before all those things. Uh, one other thing the Mishnah says, don't ever count on your wisdom. You can be very intelligent and very smart and very wise, no problem. We're not saying no. But if you're going to count on your wisdom, uh, you may be very disappointed. You have to always count on the wisdom of the Torah. Because sometimes a smart person is sure that it's 100% right, but the logic of the Torah is much deeper. Sometimes it's much, much deeper. So no matter where you feel a contradiction between your wisdom to the Torah wisdom, you make sure you count on the wisdom of the Torah. There's many examples. May I give you just one example? The Torah says that if you're in a desert uh, with your friend, your best friend, somebody that is very important to you, and you have enough water to save one of you, you have a few more hours to go to a city to find water, and you're going to die, both of you. So one of you now has to drink to save himself. If you split it 50-50, both will die. So the question is, most people would say, you know what, this is my best friend or my brother or my son, whatever it is. I'll, give him, I'll sacrifice my life for, for chesed to do something good in the eyes of Hashem. And I'll give him the water and save his life. For me, it's mitzvah. I don't mind to die to save him. That's logic. It's logical. You cannot say it's stupid. But the Torah says, no, it's not the correct thing. The Torah says, your life comes first. Why? Because Hashem says, your brother has to live with you, which means you have to be there. Not after you die, he should live. He lives with you in addition to your life, his life. Which means if there's no your, we don't have your life, then his life is also not there. So you come first. Plus, a person may think, I don't like my life. I'm a loser, I'm a failure, I'm poor, I'm a handicap, I'm, I have all these problems, I, I never got married, or I never had children, or I'm, I'm, I'm whatever you can think of, everyone with these problems. So I might as well kill myself. Let me kill myself. Like this, I will get rid of my miserable life, and Hashem will get rid of me as a miserable creature here. What does He need me here? I only make disappointments. So the Torah says, no. Killing yourself, no matter how miserable you are, it's committing suicide. Nobody can think to that direction. You think, ah, if I kill somebody else, then I'm a murderer, yes. But to kill myself? You tell me what to do with my own life? The answer is yes, your own life is not yours. It doesn't belong to you. You got it, because it's a part of the test that Hashem is interested that you're going to have. Terminating your life means you are interfering with God's plan, and it's considered a murderer. A person who kills himself is considered a murderer that murdered himself. So it's really no different. If you murder a stranger or you murder, murder yourself, either way it's a sin. And this is just to show you the difference between human's logic to the Torah's logic. There's thousands of examples like this. And obviously, uh, you know, we, not, we don't have the time to teach the entire... A subject, but just that we understand. El al Don't rely on your wisdom. There's other explanation to it. Don't think that your wisdom can save you from all your problems. Many people think, ah, I'm a, I'm a genius. I'll manage. 
I'll manage. When we get there, I'll take care of it. I'll manage. No, no, no. Don't be a big shot. You know, you need Hashem help. No matter how great you are in business, you still need Hashem. As we, we're going to read in the next parasha, Parashat Ekev, the Torah says, The Torah says, you remember that the person doesn't live by the bread only. Everything that comes of Hashem mouth, that's what keeps a person alive, spiritually. So you have to know that. Okay, the next Mishnah, Mishnah 15, in chapter 4, Rabbi Anai says, Translation, uh, you know, it says like this. We are not always able to answer this famous question, why wicked people sometimes rest peacefully in their life. They have a nice mansion, nice house, chauffeur, driver, he does everything for them, they don't have to move a finger. You know, it seems that their life is much like a king. Yeah, definitely like a king. So, uh, Rabbi Anai says, not always we are able to give the answer why the wicked people supposedly rest in peace in this physical life. That's one thing. And at the same time, not always we are going to be able to explain why righteous people suffer. The general answer, as the Torah gave, Moshe, Moshe Rabbeinu was the first one, as we know, that asked Hashem this question. It appears in Masechet Brachot in the first chapter. He asked God, where is the justice? What's going on here? The, the good people suffering, the bad people are enjoying. So what's going on? So Hashem gave him all the possibilities. Righteous, the son of a wicked. Righteous, the son of a righteous. All kinds of possibilities. But what's the real main reason? What we read two days ago in the shul, the last three verses in Parashat Vaitchanan, gives the answer to this question. Technically, really, if the Torah wouldn't address this issue, it, would, it was enough reason to make a lot of us leave the religion. But since the Torah answered that question perfectly, with no doubts, I don't understand why people have questions. Well, then what does the Torah say? The last three verses of Parashat Vaitchanan, this is what it says. I am the strict God, the zealous God, strict on my word, that uh, pay my lovers who keep my mitzvot for thousand generations, right? I pay my, those who keep my mitzvot, my lovers, I pay them for a long, long term after their death. And the wicked people, I pay them cash to their face to get rid of them. I will not delay the payments of the wicked people. I will pay them cash to their face. To destroy them. That's what it says. Simple, clear, no doubt whatsoever. Which means every, every wicked Jew does few mitzvot in his life, here and there. You know, he put money in a, in a tzedakah box. He gave a right to somebody. He made peace between two Jews. He put filin his bar mitzvah one time in his life. Uh, here and there he eats kosher when there's nothing else to eat. So over, over the years, it adds up to few thousands of mitzvot. That's a lot, because the reward for mitzvah, if you know, it's better than this entire world, the Gemara says. Better than this whole world is the reward of one little mitzvah. You made one bracha on an apple, Hashem already owe you an entire world. So, therefore, since the reward of the mitzvot is, is endless, is eternity, plus it's huge, there's no way to describe it. 
the wicked people willing to replace the promises of Hashem in the Torah with temporary pleasure. Money, women, nice house, great cars, vacations, sleeping, all kinds of things that everybody is anxious to get. And Hashem said, no, no problem, I pay you with the coin that you recognize. This is what your pleasure, this is what you're looking for, this is what you're dreaming about, that's what I'm going to pay you for the one time you put filin, for one time you ate kosher, for the one time you ate matzah in your life, for everything that you did, here I'm paying you in this life. So the Torah answered that. So that means if Hashem loves you, He delays your payment, He doesn't pay you instantly. And God forbid, if you're not in a category of the loved people, you're going to be worried. If everything works perfectly in your life, you have to be very worried. That Sadiqim, when they used to see 30 days, no problems in their life, no agony, no pain, no suffering, nothing like this. They used to walk in the street and pick up rocks and take it out of the road, like the horses used to come, so they do it. Imagine a big rabbi comes, say 60, 70 years old, he pick up rocks and move it out. So rabbi, what do you do? He said, I don't want to receive my reward in this life, so I'll torture myself. Hashem doesn't want to torture me, I'll torture myself. This is the concept of what the Torah says. Because the Torah says, it's also in next parasha. Remember, in the next parasha, when you go to shul, remember what we spoke about. The Torah says, You should know in your heart, The same way a father tortures his kids when he loves them, Torture, that means uh, put them uh, electric shards uh, and electrocute them, you know. So now we're talking, we're not talking this kind of tortures. We're talking punishments, being strict with them, taking away things that they love, uh, you know, sometimes even healing them, uh, not so hard, you know, on the hand, not to go violent and to make all kinds of blue and uh, black and blue in their bodies. We're talking little minor things. Sometimes it loses the effect. After you hit him once or twice, then it doesn't worry about it. You have to go to something a little bit more painful, like taking away something. There's a way how to, how to raise children, and plus you have to know that every boy and every girl is different than the other. One of them, you just look at them, they begin to cry. You give them a tough look, you don't need to touch them. One of them, you give them a tough look, they laugh in your face. They have chutzpah. Even you hit them, they laugh in your face. You have to know, you have to find the right way, what's going to motivate him to, to live in the right way. Uh, so the Torah said, the same way a father is strict with his children, this is how your God is strict with you. Why? Because he loves you. A father loves his son, Hashem loves you. If he wouldn't love you, he would let you do whatever you want. Big deal, he sends you to hell after that, no problem. Anyway, he doesn't like you. Since he likes you, he does everything he can to keep reminding you life here is temporary. Don't fall in love with that too much. Before you realize it will be over, it's called a blink of the eye. Erefain, Chazal say, it's the time that it takes the muscle of the eye to rest. How long? A tenth of a second, not even. How many times you blink in a minute? More than ten times. Do you feel it? You feel that every six, seven seconds you blink, you don't even feel it. You drive, you do everything you do, and you don't even realize a million times a day I blink. You don't think. Why? Because it's such a short period of time, it, it's like it doesn't count. So Chazal said this life, it's exactly like a blink of the eye. It looks very long, but when you leave this world, you look back, it would look like, oh, it's over. That's how it is. It's all a long illusion. That people think I'm going to buy buildings, invest, I'll expand, I'll buy another house, 
I'll do this, I'll do that. There's one place I didn't go to visit yet. I've been all over the world. It's this country. Let's plan a vacation. People are busy with nonsense. By the time they realize, hey, wait a minute, there's a, some purpose here. I didn't touch my purpose yet. By then they'll be out of here. They'll be obsolete. So this is it. So Rabbi Anai says, not always we know. Sometimes it's a matter of reincarnations. He suffers in this life for the things that he did in his previous life. He's 45 years old and he's not married. Why? In his previous life he was married four times and he abused each one of his wives. Hashem said, okay, in your next life you die single. But we cannot answer it because we're not God. Or somebody that is very, very poor, everything he touched, no blessing. Why? Go back to his previous life, see how he used to behave to poor people. Abuse them, disrespect them, kick them out, never give them tzedakah. So Hashem said, okay, measure for measure, now you'll be one of them, you feel the pain. There's many examples, so we don't know. Then, same thing, like I said, sometimes a wicked person enjoys, thanks to his father's merit. Like if he has a father or a grandfather who was a very holy man, he doesn't want, so Hashem said, okay, since you come from such an important person, the merit of your father, it's called schut avot, will make you rich, will make you an easy life, but in the end, you have nothing to take with you. So either, either way to look at that. Rav Matia ben Harash say, Rav Matia ben Harash, Rabbi Matia ben Harash, has an amazing story about him. It was one of the most righteous people ever lived. Ever lived. You know, in the Torah, the Torah took Yosef the Tzaddik, Joseph, as a symbol of modesty. A modest person doesn't look at the ladies, control his desire, and Hashem named him Yosef HaTzadik. Nobody else got that name, HaTzadik, the Tzadik, the righteous. Yosef got that title. That means it was something extraordinary. But Matya ben Harash, it's in a time after the Torah, about 1300 years after, the Satan couldn't believe that there's a person in such level, Rav Matya ben Harash. So... You know, so he says to, he says to Akhirosh Baruch Hu, I'm asking you permission to go and disturb Rav Matia ben Harash. Do you give me permission? So Hashem says, you won't be able to win against him. Don't waste your time. Hashem said to the Satan, you're trying to make him fail, and it will not work for you. So the Satan said, let, let me try anyway. So... Uh, the Satan came to Matya ben Harash in a custom, thank you, in a custom of a beautiful lady, not modest. Beautiful lady. So he comes. As soon as Matya ben Harash saw a beautiful lady is coming, first thing he did right away, he turned to the other side. Then the Satan went from the other side. So he was turning around, like for hours, everywhere. Everywhere he turns, this beautiful lady comes. It's a custom, it's an angel. The Satan is an angel. He can jump from one place to the other. Oh, like a different lady. He turns around, a different lady. Today, people are going to pay money to have many girls coming from all directions. But Matya ben Harash is trying to escape the trap. So after all that, he saw that it's just not ending. It's not ending. So he called his student, he said, take this knife, quick, go heat it up in a fire, and bring it back to me. So the student didn't know what's going on, so he hit the knife, the knife is boiling, you know, like when you heat metal, it looks like fire. He gave it to him, right away he put it on his both eyes and became blind. 
So this, this, the Gemara said the Satan flew back. He got so shocked. He never saw in his life such a thing. The Satan was broken. Satan, it's not, it's not a... The Satan broke when he saw such a thing. He felt bad that he created such a thing. So Hashem told him, you see, I told you you have no chance against him. He said, I never believe. The Satan said, I'm going to see such a person willing to stay blind for the rest of their life, not to look at a not modest woman for one second. Psh, Satan was shocked. Right away, Hashem sent angel Raphael. said, go cure his eyes immediately. So the angel came to him. He doesn't see. He feels something. He said, Hashem sent me express to cure you myself. Angel Raphael. Raphael is Refua. That's where he comes from. So it says, no, whatever happened, happened. What's the point? Rav Matya said, leave me like this. He said, I know what you worry about. You worry that if I cure you, then you'll have the test again. Don't worry. It will never happen to you again. Only after he promised him that he will never fail by looking at a lady, he agreed to accept his vision back. You understand what's going on? You know, a person will do everything he can not to lose his eyesight. But really, if we think about it, most of us do many, many mistakes with our eyes. Yeah, it's very difficult to live without eyes, but if a person knew how much punishment he may get because of his vision, he may reconsider. I remember a few years ago I had a rabbi from Israel, from Kiryat Sefer, and uh, his name is Neri Giat. Yemenite, nice rabbi, nice person. I tell you the name. If you ever be in Israel, go to Kiryat Sefer, check if the story is real or not. He came to America. He's on his way to Philadelphia to the eye center. There's a hospital for eyes with the best doctors in the world over there. They send him from Israel to a specialist. What's the problem? His poor boy, at that time he was eight, nine years old, the boy. So he lost his eyesight in one eye. He cannot see. Why? He has a growth. Inside the eye, something grew. You know, an eye, it's not a regular place that you can cut and take it out. It's a problem. So you need a real, real good doctors. So he comes hoping that they're going to be able to find a solution for this problem. They went over there. The price of the surgery was a hundred and something thousand dollars. The hospital in Israel said that they're very sorry. They cannot cover such cost. You know, the health insurance there, the, the Medicaid, whatever you want to call it. Then... He was very disappointed, he went back to Israel. But once something very interesting happened when he was in my house for Shabbat morning, my Hevruta, used to be my Hevruta, Rabbi Asher Schwartz, he's an Ashkenazi man today, he's in his 60s. And I'm talking to you a few years ago, he showed up for Shabbat morning, he walked in my house, he came in, he joined us to the meal, he begins to talk about somebody that is his friend, he's davening with him every morning, he's a very, very big eye doctor. Now, he doesn't know that these two that's sitting in front of him came only for the eye of the boy. But he talks about him. He says, you know what the doctor told me? Don't eat too much sugar. It's not good for the eyes. It's not good for cancer. It makes the, 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 the growth grow much faster. All kinds of things. He speaks about eyes. So he says, you know, it's very interesting. You speak about eyes. They came for eyes. He cannot see in one eye. He says, put them together. He says, okay, tomorrow morning you come with me. I'll take you to the shul. You meet the doctor. They do all the paper. The doctor told them, I'm sorry, I cannot help you. They already sent you to, from Israel to the best doctor in America. You're already in good hands. You don't need me. 
So they felt very good. Oh, at least we're not wasting our time. In the end, the Torah says, Rabot machashavot belevish v'atzat Hashem itakum. You have a lot of plans. In the end, Hashem has his plan. So over there, they couldn't do anything. They sent him back. Okay. Then after a few months, he went to Liverpool in England. Over there, there's also an ice center. Half a price. Over there, they couldn't do anything. That's it. They said, no cure for the problem. No, after months being out of the house, the poor guy with his son, and he has many kids in Israel, the wife is alone. After all this time, what happened? One day I get a phone call from him. He already gave up. He said, you're not going to believe what happened. His son is named Abraham. So what happened? He comes to me the other day. He said, you know, I cannot see now in my other eye. It's becoming blurry, you know. I think I need glasses. So okay, let's, let's go and check your eye. So I really saw that his eye needs a contact lens. So they, take, they check the eye. They decide that he needs a lens. They make him a lens. A week later he comes. The nurse has to put the lens inside the eye. So as she cleaned the lens and everything, accidentally she put the lens in the wrong eye. Then he opened up the eyes and he said, I can't believe it, I see in my both eyes. He sees in both eyes. Everybody got very excited, you know. I, mean, I went, to, I was about to spend hundreds of thousands surgery, nobody could do anything for this. He started to see in his both eyes, with Hashem help, he sees perfect now. They put contact lens in his eyes. He could have gone another 40, 50 years. He would never know that his eyes okay. What a miracle. Who made the nurse? What nurse makes such foolish mistake? No, show me. She knows they check that eye. What? She puts in the other eye. That's like a, a complete ignorant. This is what we say. Rabot machashavot belevish v'atzat Hashem itakum. One guy was walking on the street. So he told the rabbi, Rabbi, you want to laugh? No, you want Hashem to laugh? You want to make Hashem laugh? You want to make God laughing? A goy. So I say, yeah, I say, make a lot of plans. <laughs> you make your plans and Hashem is laughing. He has his own plans. Even a goy understands that. So anyway, so Rav Matiyah ben Harash agreed to be cured. They cure his eyes. This is the story. So this is what it says in the Mishnah. It says like this, Eve makdim shalom bishlom kol adam. Make sure... Every person you always see, Jew, non-Jew, everybody, you make, you go, you're going to be the first one who say hello to him. Which means, eliminate your ego completely. Whether you're rich and he's poor, it doesn't matter, you run and say hello to him. Whether you're very big chacham and he's a big fool, doesn't matter, you go and say hello first. Whether you are old and he's young, doesn't matter. If you get used to it, that's going to lower your ego and develop your modesty, your being humbled, which is very good. Make sure you're going to be a tail to the lions. It's much better than to be the head of the fox, foxes. Why? You know, it's like you go to a place, let's say in sport, a player doesn't want to be an average player. So he goes to a weak team, like this is going to be a star over there. Because everybody will treat him nice. They say, no, it's better you be an average player in a very good group than to be a head of all the losers. 
We are not talking about sports here, obviously. We're talking about Torah. If you can go to yeshiva and over there you feel, oh, I'm the, the biggest chacham here. Look, I'm, I can be the Rosh Yeshiva here. Everybody asks me. So you feel great about it. Over here you won't develop. Go to a place that you are the last one over there. You'll be their tail of the big chachamim. After a few years, you'll be like them or better than them. Why? This is, a, this is an advice for life about everything. When you go to get married, make sure your soulmate that you choose to go on a date with is much more religious than you. If you are rating yourself 50, make sure she's at least 70. You cannot be 30 and she's going to be 90. She won't want you. After five minutes of the meeting, she said, my head, my head hurts. And you'll take me home. Why? She see what, a, what an empty person you are. She doesn't want to be with you. But if there's not that much of a difference, you know, with your show a little bit, she takes you. Make sure she's better than you. Not that you're much better than her. That you have to beg her now for 20 years until she agreed to put a skirt. It's not going to get you anywhere. Same thing the girls. A girl has to ask for a guy that is much better than her, not lower than her, that he will bring her down on her level. You see houses, the wife sit home, head cover from, she's covered from head to toe, all day reading Tehillim, the husband goes without a yarmulke, rip jeans on the streets, eat without bracha. Baruch Hashem, he keeps Shabbat, barely. Comes home two minutes before Shabbat, already taking shower in Shabbat. You see, he says, this is a couple? They married? You see a lot of it. You understand? So it's a problem. So make sure you be the tail of the lions than to be the head of the foxes. Rabbi Yaakov says, This world is a hallway to the next world. A hallway. It's narrow. It gets there. Once you get to the real room, and it becomes very big and flashy. Make sure that you enter this hallway and you are progressing to the right direction that you'll be able to get to the big room. Some people got stuck somewhere in a, ho- in a hallway or never even entered the hallway. They're still in the first step. Make sure you're there. Uh, there we have a song that we sing. It's called The whole world is a very narrow bridge. Who wrote that song? Rabbi Nachman Mibreslev, 250 years ago. Why did he write the whole world is a bridge? Kol haolam, a whole world, gesher tsar meod, a very narrow bridge. Why didn't he write a very narrow road? Why bridge? Why? A narrow road, when you're tired, you move to the side of the road with your car, you park, and you sleep. It's two hours, five hours, you can sleep until tomorrow morning. Get up in the morning, you continue to drive. A bridge, there's nowhere to stop. You must move on all the time. Cannot stop. Cannot. Why? You stop. It's an accident. Somebody hit you. You're risking your life. So this world, you can never stop. You're either falling or you're progressing. One of the two. You can never stand in your place. Either you're becoming more tzaddik every second or you're becoming more rasha. Depend on your actions. There is no way to park. You're either moving forward or you're falling into the water and you drown. That's one of them. That's why I use the word bridge and not the, another way. The 17 Mishnah in this Perik, I use it a lot in my lectures. It says like this. If a person makes tshuva in this world, 
this world. One hour of tshuva and mitzvot, of learning Torah and doing mitzvot, it's valuable sometimes more than the entire next life in the eyes of Hashem. Hashem is so anxious for the Jews to keep his mitzvot and to follow his way that one hour that the Jew makes tshuva and cries and says, I love you Hashem, forgive me here, I'm buying tefillin, I'm changing my life, I'm starting to keep Shabbat. This one hour sometimes can be worth more than the whole world. On the other hand, you should know that all the pleasure of this world, of all the people from all the generations combined, will not be equal to one hour reward of the righteous Jew in the next world. One hour. Not even one hour. This is how much the reward is going to be. So, it says like this. Yafa sha'achat shel korat ruach ba'olam haba mikol chaye ha'olam hazeh. As I just said, many people thinking, Rabbi, I want to enjoy this life. It's not, I don't want... I want to be religious. I don't want to be ungrateful and like a goy. No, no. But I want to enjoy this world. What? It's not allowed? What? I can't wear beautiful clothes, ripped jeans, five earrings, you know, here and there. What's the problem, Rabbi? But I still keep Shabbat. You have to understand. Certain things, yes, the Torah didn't tell you you're not allowed. Certain things... It's not necessary that the Torah will tell you you're not allowed. You have to be clever enough to know right away that you have to stay away from it. The Torah told you, don't dress like the Goyim. So all this fashion that the Goyim invent, right away, a week later, you see it in a Jewish street. They're just succeeding the Jews and waiting, counting the minute when this filthy Goy from Paris, I don't have to tell you why it's filthy, use your imagination, the new style that he invented, two minutes later, the ladies in, uh, in uh, Boro Park and Monsi run to the store with their credit cards to buy it. You don't have to be a genius to know that Hashem is disgusted from this. Disgusted from who, who invented all this fashion. That's one thing. Their music, you listen to their music, their soul goes into your soul. What do you think? They put their spirituality into their music. All this garbage music that you hear today, all the kids, as soon as the kids start listening to this music, three days later they become criminals. Not three years later, three days later his pants is all the way down, you see the color of his underwear. This is a kid that goes to yeshiva, how he walks in the street. And when you ask him, well, why are your pants is like this? It takes time for the parents to realize what's going on here. Say, so, hey, you didn't buy me a belt. <laughs> then the next day you bring him a belt two days later again his pants is down where is the belt? I, I left it somewhere but why did you take the belt out of the pants? Beloni he became a kushi that's what he became this is his new rap hero after he listens to this garbage you expect him to read Torah and Gemara what do you expect? by then it's already finished so the answer is there is no sin to enjoy this world. No. You can enjoy. You eat food. You enjoy the food. It's not a sin. You have a good bed, comfortable mattress. It's not a sin. But you should know one thing. The, there's a red line. Once you cross that red line, every second of your life becomes a sin. What does it mean, red line? There's a difference... If you go to a place and they put you in a hotel 
and the hotel has a marvelous bed with great mattress and you sit and, and you sleep and enjoy for that night, it's no problem. Then that you become addicted and from now on everything you're looking for is how can I enjoy more. This is the red line. A Jew has to accept whatever he gets. I have a good bed, very good. I have a horrible bed, also very good. Great delicious food, no, Baruch Hashem. Horrible food, Baruch Hashem. For me, it has to be the same. Because I'm not here to search for these things. You understand? This is not why I came here. We are not monkeys, we are not dogs, we are not goyim. We have to understand, we have a Torah and we represent Hashem. And definitely it's not honor for a person to look all day for this pleasure. What kind of car? Three months old, you already want to replace the car, why? I'm not so happy from the performance of the car. Why? It goes from zero to a hundred in four seconds. I, they told me in a store three seconds and now it's four seconds. No, I, no, my life is no life, Rabbi. <laughs> I told you once, uh, a couple came to Rav Steinman, a husband and a wife. <laughs> I love this story. Uh, say, Rav Steinman says, well, why can I help you? Steinman is almost a hundred years old. You know, when you go to his house, the chairs is the milk cart. You know the milk cart? From there they made chairs. You should see the way the house is. They don't care about this world, you know. <laughs> My house, beautiful. Wow, what a chandelier. All day I sit and enjoy the crystal. They don't have these things. All they care is Gemara, Torah, Kedusha, that's it. So they come, the husband and wife, they made a lot of money. So, they, so the wife said to the rabbi, Rabbi, we're arguing about what car to buy. So the rabbi said, why, why it should be an argument? The wife said, I want a nice car. I want leather seats, sunroof, player, I don't know, DVD, whatever. And he wants a lousy car. This, this guy is stingy all the time. He wants a cheap car. I'm tired of this. Why? If, we have, if Hashem gave us money, why can't we afford to get a, better, a great car? So the rabbi asked the man, uh, why are you afraid to get a normal car? Try to save money? He said, no, Rabbi, it's not about money. I'm not stingy. So said, what's the problem? He said, you know, it's a truck sign around. People will start to be jealous with me. I don't feel comfortable. You know, we live in the area. Not, you know, in Bnei Brak, most people are poor. It's Avrechim in Yeshiva. They take a bus or a bicycle. All of a sudden, they see me driving in Bnei Brak with such a car. I don't feel good. I don't want people to put their eye on me and be jealous. So the rabbi told him, let me ask you a question. Did you finish the Talmud, the Shas, the whole Gemara? Maybe I can test you on the Gemara. He said, Rabbi, finish the whole thing? No, Mapitom, I didn't. He said, okay, did you finish one Masechet? Like from the beginning to the end? One, one subject. He said, no, no, not yet, Rabbi. Okay, did you finish one chapter? One chapter. You know, 20 pages. Did you finish? He said, no, no. Can I test you on one chapter? No, no, it's too much, one chapter. Okay, one page. One page from the beginning to the end, with Rashi and Tosfot, the commentaries. Can I test you on one page in the Talmud? No, Rabbi. No. He's afraid to say no already. Say, you can buy any car you want. Nobody has a reason to be jealous with you. <laughs> go, go, go buy whatever you want. Enjoy this life while you're still here. You don't know one page. One page, a box full of emptiness. And you worry if they'd be jealous with you? Well, to be jealous with you, what? That you have a nice watch or a nice uh, a beautiful tie? Well, for what? To be jealous with you. It's foolishness to be jealous of what people buy. Be jealous! 
when he's a big chacham, be jealous that his boy, age 13, already is like a rabbi. Yeah, for that you have to sit and cry. Why your son is not like this? Why you are not like him? That's called kinat sofrim tarpe chokhmah. To be jealous that he has beautiful hair, that uh, he's skinny, that all this nonsense that people are fighting for all day. Gossip, what she wore, what did she wore for? She wait for the morning, I couldn't wait all night. Why? I wanted to know what my sister-in-law wore for the wedding last night. After she heard that she wore something nice, she's sick in bed for two months. <laughs> on Prozac. Why? The love of her life got attention last night in a wedding. Why can't you be like your brother, you loser? That's how you hear all the time. My, my, my in-law, my this, my brother-in-law, my sister-in-law, my... Empty life. Then, the next Mishnah, Rabbi Shimon ben Elazar says, if you messed up and your friend is very angry at you, screaming, shouting all over, don't come and try to explain yourself. Let him relax first. It won't, it won't help. He doesn't hear you now. It's now the energy that has to come out. Wait, you make it worse. When you come to tell him while he's extremely angry, no, you're wrong, it's, it's not my fault, you only make the situation much worse. Wait an hour. After he relaxes, then when he's relaxed, you come back and let's talk about it. You know? Plus, my advice to you is always apologize. Whether you're guilty or not, doesn't matter. You want to have lovers and never have enemies, always apologize. What do you care? You care about your ego? You're right. I wasn't sensitive enough, you know, next time I'll try to make it better, I'm sorry, you know, I didn't mean it, I love you. What do you care? It's only words. Ah, you got yourself a friend for life. Because now you know how much he admires you? I, tell, I told somebody, I have a friend, and he couldn't find a job for more than a year. For more than a year he doesn't, he doesn't work, the poor guy. You know, when a Jew doesn't work for a year, he has to pay tuition, mortgage, this. It cleans you from everything. Finally, his uncle is giving him a job. The uncle is not religious. And the uncles have a few sons. They're a very wealthy family. And one of the sons doesn't like him. He doesn't like the idea that his father took that religious guy to work for us. Doesn't like it. The other one is okay. It's a nice person. But this one is a nasty person. And he always tried to make it bad for him. So I told him, you want him to be your number one lover? He said, he was about to send him a letter to argue with him, to show him that he's wrong, what do you want from me, I do my job. I, I told him, no, make him feel that he's important, put yourself down, and tell him that to have mercy on you. You have children to feed, and you hope that his good heart would make him understand that you're not in a position to lose your job. He said, what? I'm going to make myself like garbage? I told him the not religious people, they live for it for eternity. You show them that you put your head down, they'll love you for the rest of your life. Why? Because you surrender to them. It's all about ego. It's not being evil. It's all about ego. You put your head down, he not only will not make you any problems, every problem you ever have, he will be the first one who helps you. Same thing in the traffic. You go, two cars are trying to go into one lane. They're all fighting, who's going to go first? In another minute, one of them will take a gun and kill the other. It happens every day. 
What would make them friends? All you have to do is go, you go like this. No, you go first. Right away, his whole attitude changed. No, 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 go, you go first. Ah, just a minute ago, his, head, his hand was ready on the gun. Another five, tenth of a second, the two mirrors will collide and break. The next thing, a baseball bat or a gun, or who knows what. As soon as he went like this, all his anger and his fever and sweat and everything went down to zero and he's ready to jump out of his window and hug you. Why? Because you went like this. You surrendered to him. That's all. Just surrender to him. What do you care? All these murders and fighting and Lashonara, it's because we also have ego. Why do you care what he thinks? Sometimes you go to a place, the officer over there argue with you. In the airport, in a post office, for nonsense. You know he's wrong. He's just picking on you. It's two ways to handle it. You continue to argue with him, you win the argument, but you lose your turn, or you lose the flight, or who knows what. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so I won. I made my point. Oh, he says, sir, you're right. I'm sorry, you know, I didn't pay attention. You're right. Next time will not happen. Right away, the case is over. Okay, no problem. Make sure it doesn't happen anymore. We say in Hebrew, Al Don't be right, be wise. It's more important than to be right. Let him think whatever he wants. Let's move on. So Rabbi Shimon says, Ben Elazar, this is the grandson of Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai. Rabbi Shimon had a son, Rabbi Elazar, that had a son, Rabbi Shimon. Don't try to satisfy or to apologize to your friend when he's in the middle of his anger. Don't try to comfort him when he just found out that his best father or mother died. I won't help. Person crying, he just found out, or he just saw an accident, something happened. You come and say, no, don't worry, it's for good. Don't, don't take it to your heart. Don't worry, you know, you get out of it. It's not going to help. Right now, is the emotion is in the a, in a highest level. Don't, don't come to a person and start asking him a question about his vows that he makes while he's making it. It won't help. Because what's, what's going to happen? When a person makes a vow, he needs to go to a big chacham, a chief rabbi, and the rabbi can get you out of the vow that he made. How? He asks him, if you knew that that and that and that would happen, would you still make the vow? He said, no, of course not. He said, okay, so your vow is dismissed. So for instance, Rabbi Akiva married Rachel. She was the princess from a house of a billionaire. Kalba Savua, her father, fed the whole people of Jerusalem for three years. She saw that the one who cleans the horses is a nice, shy guy, shy Jew. Yes, he's a complete ignorant. He doesn't know Torah. He's 40 years old, divorced, with a kid. And, she, and he cleans the horses, but she saw that he has great manners, natural manners. So she told him, I'm willing to marry you in one condition, that you go right away to Yeshiva and learn for a few years Torah. Of course, he wants to marry her. Everybody in the country wants this girl. Father is a very important person. Also chacham, rich, great family. So the father, after it happened, he made a vow that she won't see a penny from his money. He cut her out of the will. 24 years later, the famous story, Rabbi Akiva came with 24,000 students and 
she came out to see her husband, they kicked her out, what are you doing between the guys? He said, hey, move out, let her pass, she's my wife. All the Torah we all have is thanks to her. This is Rachel. Then he, her father doesn't recognize that this is his son-in-law. The last he saw him was 24 years ago. He was uh, like a homeless, cleaning the horses. Now he comes, beautiful, with his skill, 24,000 students behind him, you know. So he comes, he didn't recognize him. He said, Rabbi, I made a vow against my daughter. I didn't see her for 24 years. I regret. Before I die, I run and give her the money, but I say that I'm not, I'm not allowed to give her the money. It's like a swearing, making a vow. So he told him, tell me, if you knew that this son-in-law of yours one day will be a big chacham, or even not big chacham, he will know a little bit Torah. Would you do it? He said, Rabbi, if he knew one halacha, one halacha, I wouldn't make this vow. He was such a complete dumb fool, doesn't know one halacha, he doesn't read. He doesn't know Aleph bed. What do you expect me to, eh, to be happy? My, all the greatest chachamim begging me to marry my daughter, all of a sudden she takes this guy. So he told him, I am your son-in-law, the greatest Jew in history, Rabbi Akiva. That's the story, that's as it happened. Why am I telling you this story? Because when Kalba Savua, when the father of Rachel made his vow, he's angry, right? I swear, you're never going to take a penny from my money. If you are there, don't make a beep. Why? Because if you tell him, yeah, but maybe one day he will be Chacham, from his anger, he's going to say, even if it's going to be one day Chacham, I don't care. I still don't give her. You're closing the possibility that the Chacham one day can untie the vow. You're closing, right? Because you're mentioning another thing, you say, yes, even so. And what about this? Even then, even then, even then, in the end, this is it. So make sure when he is angry and he says, I'll never let this happen, don't say anything. After he relaxes, he goes to the Chacham, the Chacham asks him, what happened if it would be this and this? So, oh, in that case, I'm not interested to make that vow. And he can cancel the vow, this is called... Make sure that you're not running to see when he's failing and making a bad, a bad scene. Don't run over there to see it and run around and tell everybody what he did. You understand? Which means in a way when a person is thinking, don't stand on his blood over there and dance on the blood. The next Mishnah is the 19th Mishnah, Shmuel HaKatan. Shmuel HaKatan, either that he was short in his body or he was smaller in his knowledge from another Shmuel. There was Rav and Shmuel, this is a different Shmuel. Shmuel HaKatan. There's another opinion that he was very humbled. He made himself almost like nothing. Shmuel HaKatan says, When your enemies are paying for what they owe, they are collapsing, don't make a party and don't be happy even a minute. Like, let's say a person, your partner, kicked you out of the business, he took away your share, he made you a lot of hard times, he told the police about you, all kinds of things. When, when now he got caught and he goes to jail or he lost his business or anything that bad happened to him, don't sit and be happy. Why? 
if you do it, it's a very natural thing. People are, ah, I see the justice, Baruch Hashem, Ishtabach Shemo, now he's paying for what he did to me. If you talk like that, you will pay for that separately. It's like another sin of yours. <laughs> but he deserves it. Yeah, he deserves it. That's why Hashem is giving it to him. But the opposite, you should be upset that because of a situation that you were involved, a Jew is collapsing right now. You should know. Three are getting punished about Lashonara. The one who speaks Lashonara, the one who hears Lashonara, and the one that they are talking about. The one who speaks, I understand. The one who hears, I understand. If he wouldn't hear, he would run away. Then this guy would stop. Become a partner to the scene. Plus he enjoyed the bed. But the one who they are talking about, not only they're ruining his reputation, he's getting punished. Yes, why? If you were 100% clean, nobody will talk against you. It shows that you're not clean. You give one some kind of a reason, maybe a small reason, and they made it a big deal. And plus, two other Jews are going to be punished severely because of you. Maybe you're not so guilty. But just the fact that Hashem used you as a trap to another Jew to collapse, that's already not a good sign for you. You understand? Same thing, sometimes your friend is asking you, uh, buy me something, you know. And you went and got him something, and later on it was found that because of that something, something horrible happened to him. It's not your fault. He asked you, buy me this motorcycle, buy me that scooter, buy me that... Uh, whatever it is, and in the end, something horrible happened because of that. It's definitely not your fault. But one thing you have to sit and cry for, why I was a messenger of Hashem to destroy this person? He couldn't find somebody else? Why he made me the reason? That's why it's not good to be cops. It's not good to be judges in court. It's not good to, to be the people who comes and repossess the houses and kick the people to the street. It's not good. Why? They are using you to do the dirty job in a creation that's not a good sign about you. You should know that. And plus, in, according to Kabbalah, people who are like that, that's a sign that in their previous life, they used to be bad people, and now Hashem takes, use them to do the dirty job. It's not a good sign. So it says, when your enemy is collapsing, don't be happy. Why? If Hashem will see it, he may get very angry at you. Elisha ben Avuya, Elisha ben Avuya was the rabbi of Rabbi Meir Baalanes. Rabbi Meir Baalanes. And he became not religious, believe it or not. You know, philosophy sometimes drives people crazy. Too much philosophy, psh, he went off the way. Yeah? Why he went off the way? Because he went, the Gemara says, Four went into the orchard. What does it mean, orchard? Pardes in Hebrew, pei, resh, dalet, samech. Pardes means pshat, remez, drash, sod. Abbreviation, pardes. Pei, pshat, resh, remez, dalet, drash, samech, sod. What does it mean? Pshat is what you learn Torah. You, you understand the words, what's going on. That's pshat. That's the simple understanding. Remez, it's all the hints inside numeric values, how many times these words appeared, why it's like this, why he didn't use that word, why that word, why over here. It's, it's all the inside hints inside the text. Uh, what's drash? All the secrets behind the scenes that the Torah did not bring clearly. It was hidden in what we call midrashim, drash. You, you only hear two or three words in the Torah, 
You want to know the whole story? You go to the Midrash, the Midrash tells you the whole story what happened between Hashem and Avraham, between Ishmael and Yitzchak. You don't see it in the Torah. The Torah just told you four or five words. You want to know the whole story, the whole conversation, what happened in the background, why Hashem got so upset, what's the secret here? You go and you learn the Midrash. That's called Midrashim. Midrash Rava, Midrash Tanchuma, there's many Midrashim. What's the last thing? It's called Sod. Kabbalah. Kabbalah is dangerous. It's all the names of HaKadosh Baruch Hu. It's names of angels, and some of these angels are very, very dangerous. When a person is not a clean tool, it's not a clean bucket, you cannot put water inside. If the bucket is dirty, it's the bowl is dirty, you cannot put pure water inside. The water becomes black. Nobody can drink it. First, you have to clean very good the bowl or the bottle, and then you begin to put water. Water is Torah, it's purity. So, if a person is filthy, it's not Shomer Shabbos, or maybe he is, but he's all day looking at the ladies, he watches dirty things, he listens to dirty things, he speaks Lashonara, you know, he's lazy, he doesn't pray, he hardly, you know, learn Torah, and all of a sudden he goes to learn Kabbalah. Kabbalah, I have to be in a very high level. I have a whole lecture in my website, the conditions to learn Kabbalah. According to the biggest Kabbalist in the last 2,000 years, Thanks to him, we have Kabbalah. Without him, we wouldn't know anything. Ari Kadosh. All the conditions. You have to be 40 years old, married, finish the entire Torah, you don't eat meat, all kinds of things. You get up at midnight to stay up all night, mikveh every day, don't touch your beard. Hoo-hoo-hoo, what a list. You have to be basically an angel in order for you to start touching it. But even in Kabbalah, there's very, very high levels. It's called like Maaseh Merkava. It's the upper words, it's things that can drive a person crazy. Four went to the Pardes. The Gemara says, the Mishnah, it says like this. There are four who learn all the secrets of Maaseh Merkava, the carriage of Hashem. It's an analogy. It's a big thing. And one of them got, very, got affected very badly. as him, Elisha. It drove him crazy. After that, that's it. he couldn't think straight anymore. Rabbi Akiva went to the Pardes and came alive save, which means he went to the highest secrets. Why you become crazy when you learn Kabbalah? There are a few thousand people in the world that as soon as they start learning Kabbalah after a short period of time, either they committed suicide or they became completely mentally ill. They cannot function anymore. Because the angels cannot stand that somebody so filthy and so wicked using their names and doing all these things. That's the highest level of the things of, the, of God in the world. So they take revenge against this person and make him chaz v'shalom, bad tragedies. His children dying, he's dying, he's killing himself, he becomes sick, all kinds of problems. That's why it's not recommended to even touch it. Leave it to the greater people, leave it. So this is what happened to him. So this is what he says before he became crazy. <coughs> Mara say he was riding on a horse on Shabbat. He's not allowed to ride on a horse on Shabbat. And Rabbi Meir used to run after him on Shabbat and learning from him Torah. So they told him, how do you learn from such a wicked person Torah? That's it, he cannot teach you Torah anymore. He used to teach you Torah when he was holy. Now he's wicked, don't learn from him. He said, no, no, I have this ability to take the fruit and throw the pill. I know what to take from him, what not to take from him. I know the red line. If he may tell me something else, I, know, I can tell. So when they got out of the territory, you, know, you can go 2,000 amma after the border of your town, which is about 
a one kilometer. So he's about to cross the line with his horse. So that's another scene now. Now, besides riding the horse, you're going out of the territory. So he told him to, uh, to Rabbi Meir, stop running, you cannot cross that line. So he said, why? He said, that's the end of the territory, the Sofat Khum. So he said, what, you are not a Jew? For you it's allowed? He said, I'm a lost case already. So he told him, don't talk like this. Hashem accepts everyone, he wants to make tshuva. So he says, I heard an echo in heaven, look at his level. That Hashem announced, every Jew in the world is welcome to make repentance and I'm willing to forgive him except one. Elisha ben Avuya, I don't accept. That's what I heard about me. So I'm a lost case and he continued to address. So the Gemara said, how can it be? Hashem promised that every Jew is accepted with no exception. The Gemara says, of course Hashem would accept him. Everybody, a father accepts any son of him, any, the worst. He's willing to accept him if he's going to show that he really wants to return. But why Hashem made him hear such a thing? This is what I've been always saying in my lecture and people not always get the point. When a person has a chance to make tshuva, to become religious, when he's young, it's going to be a million times easier than later on. The first chance in your life when you saw the truth, God is going to help you and do almost everything for you. Everything. Send you the right rabbis, the right neighbor, the right wife. All of a sudden it's easy, it's going, it's smooth. Why? You did it right away. No delays. You did not do it first time. It's not late yet. There's still a chance. Two years later, you have another chance. Somebody gave you another CD, a DVD, invite you to Shabbat, a lecture of a great speaker, whatever the case may be. Now you are willing to become religious, fine. But it's going to be harder than the first time. Less siata dishmaya. Less help from heaven. Hashem helps you 80%. Not like before. You did not take the second chance, there's still another chance maybe. We don't know, only Hashem knows how many chances He gives a person. Third time, only 60% help. Much harder. Fourth, fifth, sixth, seven times, you don't make tshuva. Rambam writes, Rambam, the greatest posek. The Rambam writes, the worst punishment to a Jew, or to any person, even to a goy. שסוגרים בפניו את דלתות התשובה, דל הקדוש ברוך הוא לק the gate of repentance to his face. You, can, you cannot enter. Everyone else can enter. For them I open the gate. You, it's locked. What does it mean it's locked? You can do it on your own, my friend. No help. No help. He lives in Zimbabwe and he's trying to be religious. How come he, not come, he cannot move out of Zimbabwe? He's broke. He doesn't have money. Cannot. He's stuck there. Why? Why Hashem doesn't help him? Hashem can find him the money. Get him out of there, bring him to Yerushalayim, and a month later he's going to become a Talmud Yeshiva. Hashem is not going to do it for him. Why? Because he had seven, eight, ten chances. Every chance less. That's how it works. This is a rule in the creation. And that's what happened with him. After he became what he became, he had few chances to become. He didn't. Finally, when he wanted, that's what he said. Hashem made him hear such a thing to show him not only I'm not going to help you, I'm going to be an obstacle to you. Resistance. Hashem irachem, resistance. Sometimes you feel it. You want to become religious, you go, you buy tefillin, a year later you find out you're pasul. You go, you buy mezuzot, all pasul. You go, you buy a hat for Shabbat, two minutes later somebody 
took it by mistake, it's gone. You, want, you move to a place of, of religious area, they don't give you an apartment, they don't like you, not religious enough, everything goes against you. Until you break and you go back to be a goy. Why? There was no siyat Dishmaya, no help. No help. So Elisha ben Avuya said, Alomed Yeled, someone that learns when he's still a kid, still a kid before Bar Mitzvah, what is it like? Like, in, like ink on a, on a new page. Ink on a new page. Alomed Zaken, somebody that learns that is old, it's like an ink on a very old paper. Rabbi Yossi says, so what's the secret? What is he trying to tell us? It says that when you are young, everything you learn, you remember forever. It's called Girsa de Yankuta. When you were Yenuka, a baby, the kids, what they, when they teach them Parashat Shavua, are to believe. We will learn it a hundred times. We won't remember it like the little kids, four or five years old, how they say the whole parasha by heart. In Israel, kids 11 years old, they will tell you the whole Torah by heart. The whole Torah by heart. Every parasha by heart without looking in a book. 11 years old in my eyes I saw. In my eyes I saw. Take a professor in Harvard. Give him 10 years, full day, to learn the Torah by heart. He won't do it. The brain is not absorbing, absorbing like before when he was a kid. That's why when kids moved to another country, in one month they speak the new language. Their parents, <laughs> yeah, people in America, third years, they don't speak two words in English. Huh? Persians, Bukharian, Israelis. Uh, he has businesses, he owns who knows what. Technically, he, doesn't, he cannot write one page in English. Nothing. His English is broken, no grammar, no nothing. But the kids, as soon as you bring them, a month later, I was in Belgium a month ago. There was this little cute boy, Elimelech, 13 years old. Five languages, he speaks perfect. Perfect Hebrew, perfect English. Perfect, uh, blameish, blame, what's the name of the language they speak over there? Blameish, blameish, Yiddish, and, uh, and French. Five languages, perfect. Kids, how did he have time to learn? Kids learn everything. Very easy, same thing computer. Give a computer to a kid, one day to play with, by the end of the day it tells you everything. This is PowerPoint, this is this, this is Internet Explorer, everything he knows, all the functions. Give it to a lawyer, 50 years old, smart guy. By the end of the day, he doesn't know two buttons. The brain is much, much better when, they, when you are a kid. Remember this. That's why it's very important in the first years of the life of a boy, what you push to him stays with him forever. Later on, it's much harder. And it's so true. Rabbi Yossi says, Someone who learns from little kids, what is it like? Like eating grapes that are old, like almost like raisin. What does it mean? When you make wine, the first process, you squeeze the grapes, right? They stand on it with their boots, right? All the waters are, all the wine, the grape juice are dripping with pieces of the wine and the seeds. It's still not cleaned yet in a net. So learning from a boy, the boy doesn't have experience yet in teaching good. 
It's like drinking the wine with the pieces and the seeds. It's not purified yet. Learning with the old person that already over the years learned it many times and he knows how to present it, it's like drinking a brand new wine, pure, no pieces in it, after it was cleaned and everything. Rabbi says, don't judge people by the outside. Don't look at the, of the, of the pot from the outside. Look in the inside, which means you see a beautiful silver pot and inside there's a poison liquid. <laughs> Why are you impressed from the outside? The inside is important, which means you see people, beard, hats, all kinds of shows they have. Don't check this. Check the inside of this person. He's honest or not. He's rotten or not. He's lazy or not. A word is a word. With money, he pays on time. He has people work for him in a business. He pays them on time. If not, what's the whole religion for? This is what you have to check. Check inside. No, don't check the outside. So... רבי אליעזר הכפר says, הקנאה והתאווה והכבוד מוציאים את האדם מן העולם. The three biggest distractions in the life of a person, what are they? The jealousy, desires, and honor, ego. Those are the three poisons that a person that has it is very, very miserable. If you're jealous all your life, everything you see around you want. <laughs> It's, a, it's like a mental case. You don't have one, re one second of rest. Everything is, I wish I had this car. I, I, I wish I had that suit. I, 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 I wish I was married to a woman like this. I'm single. Why is a girl and I don't have? Why is a car and I don't have? Why is a nice house and I don't have? Oh, look at him. Why is such a watch? I wish I had it. All his life is miserable. No matter what he's going to have, he's always going to find around him people that has more. It will never end. You are dead while you are alive. Or desires, food, see in a wedding, what happens when they bring the dessert? Push him, oh excuse me, move! <laughs> Why? <laughs> the cream cake will finish, Rabbi, you know? Or kavod, they disrespect me. You see where they put me to sit in a wedding? Chutzpah, I bring them a thousand dollars check, they put me with my back to the band, they forgot when they came to my wedding, I gave them the VIP chair. This chutzah, I'll kill him. Why don't talk to me about him. What happened? He's your brother. Don't mention his name here. You better be dead if you have this three. If you don't want to die, just start working on yourself to fix it. People don't fix it because they're not aware what the destruction it is. Once you know that you're sick, you can receive a treatment and get cure. If you don't recognize your sickness, how are you going to be cured? Then, we have one last Mishnah for today, and we finish this chapter, as I said, Baruch Hashem. Who haya Omer? Ayeludim lamut. Those who are born, one day will die. Hametim lachayot, those who died, will be reborn, reincarnated. Achaim <laughs> Lidon, those who are alive, <laughs> Hashem is judging them every day, every week, every month, and of course every Rosh Hashanah. 
to know that he is the creator, he is the manufacturer, he is the one who understands everything, and he is the judge. He is the witness, he is the one who pays the punishment, and he will judge us in the end, in the last final judgment day, Yom Adina Gadol. And he doesn't accept any bribe, and everything by him is straight, and he never forgets anything, and he doesn't accept one more than the other, everybody comes equal to the judgment. Everything belongs to him, and everything is calculated very precisely. And don't say ever, once I die, everything will be fine. I don't believe in judgment. It won't help you to escape the punishment. The judgment is waiting as soon as the person closes his eyes, everything begins. Not a second after. Right away, see the angel of death and everything begins. Nobody ever asks you permission to create you. You created without your, without your agreement. After you were created in your mother's womb, nine months you came out to the world, nobody asked you permission if to take you out or not. You're coming out. Nobody asks you permission to keep you alive. I want you alive, you are alive. Nobody asks you. you. You are alive. Nobody asks you if to bring you to this world or not. You'll be forced to die one day. Nobody lives here forever. And the most important thing, and nobody will ask you permission to judge you, to reward you, or to punish you based on what you did in your life. You will be judged in front of the king of all kings, HaKadosh Baruch Hu. This is the end of chapter 4. Baruch Hashem, I'm on schedule, I wanted to finish it. We have two more chapters. Four chapters are behind us. And we have two more. Two more. That, um, a lot of people don't wear a feature and this and that. But what about Brit Milan? A lot of women don't want baby boy. It's not a sin to want a boy. <laughs> I mean, but it's also like a lot of women, they just would go for this. For what? Just to have for example. No. So if, it's, it's okay? If a, if a woman wants to have a boy, that she can, she can do mitzvah, brit milah to the boys, mitzvah. Not always is the plan of Hashem. Right. Hashem has his own plans. Rashi, Rashi, the holy Rashi, the big tzaddik, the biggest giant, the biggest chacham. You cannot understand one page in the Gemara, in the Mishnah. In, in all the books, all the prophets, without Rashi, and he didn't have boys. He had only girls. No, I don't mean just the woman. I mean the Sandak thing who wants kavod. Like ah, Sandak wants kavod. If a Sandak comes because he wants kavod, then it's better, definitely not good to use him as Sandak. Yes. Is that true the father who has only girls A father that wants only girls? That has only girls and he wants to have like a whole. You know, it says somebody who dies without banim doesn't have a bracha. It's true. But, but we have many examples in history that great people had only girls. Like I just was giving an example of Rashi. Rashi had only daughters, but each one of his daughters married the biggest rabbi in the world. So it says, first of all, I want to tell you one thing. The Gemara says, If you have grandchildren, boys, it's also count like you have boys. So it's no problem. So many of those who have only girls, 
when the girls give birth to six, seven, ten kids, for sure he's going to have at least two, three, or, or five grandsons. Grandsons are like sons, bnei banim kebanim. And the in-laws, the son-in-laws that going to come to your family, if it's a big chacham, it's like your son. You're like his father-in-law, it counts like he's your son. So either way, it's okay. However, those who died without getting married have a bigger problem, because right now they don't have kids and don't have grandkids. You know? Yes, not everything that we want Hashem gives us. There's many reasons why. Some people, they never own a house all their life also. They do, they work, they try very hard, they can never afford to buy a house. Always rent from one place to another. Some people have ten houses. Calculation of Hashem, we don't know always why. Some of us are poor, some of us are rich, some of us are smart, some of us are not, handsome, not handsome. This is all calculated based on our other life, previous lives. Hashem review everything and He decides how to design your body, how to design your life how much wisdom to give you. But one thing you should know, that the more smart you become on your own, which means you learn a lot, Hashem adds, it's like a snowball, more wisdom to you. This, the Torah says, Yahiv Hashem adds more wisdom to wise people. Why? If you want to help yourself, and you sweat for it, Hashem helps you. You don't do anything to help yourself. He you say, why should I help you? You don't want to help yourself. That means you don't care about yourself. I should care about you? Ah, and I see you come to yeshiva to learn every day, every open opportunity to have. You listen to lectures, you read books, Shabbat you don't waste in snoring after the chulent eight hours. You sit and learn. Now I have incentive to give you some gifts. Now I open up your head, I clean the dirt from your brain, I make you remember what you read, I make your brain work sharply. You see, people think that if you're a doctor or a lawyer or an engineer or anything like that, automatically you're smart. Absolutely not. I learned in my life with people that don't have any education, any formal education, but when I asked them, when I brought them the sugya in the Gemara, I saw that the brain is clever, sharp. They can see right away where is a contradiction, something that doesn't make sense. They remember the steps better. And I learned with doctors, some of them big doctors, and lawyers, and even a judge. And not always they were sharp. Not always. Sometimes you saw that their brain is not sharp. So everything they know is because they memorize, like a, like a robot. They learn, they learn pages and pages. They went to the test and passed. But once you begin to confuse them with some questions about the sugiya, they, they give up. They, don't, they cannot think. Sometimes it's scary that these people judging life and death when the brain is so rotten, you know? But sometimes, again, you're born with a brain like this and, it, and your job is to develop it and to achieve some achievement. Sometimes all your life you work, your brain has a maximum that it can get to, that's it. Some people, you, some, you see by the kids, you see right away which kid is very clever, which kid is not. Some kids are so clever, as soon as the father smiles, they already know what he's thinking about. Some kids, they don't understand anything around them. Doesn't mean that they're not important or they're not loved by Hashem or anything like this. Could be more righteous sometimes. Sometimes people are very smart, but they use their wisdom to negative thing all the time. They can't control their desire. It would be better off they'll be dumb. Why? Because now when they're smart, they steal better, they cheat better, they forge better, they trick people, they forge signature, they get money out of people's pocket. 
because they're much more clever, they know how to fool people. It would be better off, they'll be dumb, like this, after once or twice. They'll get caught, they'll be in prison, they come out, maybe they get out of it. What destroyed them was their wisdom. Not always is good, depending on what you use it for. Thank you very much, we'll see you next time.